everyone, and welcome to Gordon's Wine Bar. We are here, Oliver Turnbull and Richard Lane. Hello, Richard. Evening, Oliver. Of The Wine List. We're well into season two now. Uh, this is episode seven. It's all going to be about a country of which I'm very fond, and that is good old England. The only part of the United Kingdom, I think it's probably fair to say, now that we no longer have Aquitaine. Thanks, Henry. One of them. I can't remember which one. We're going to be talking about English wine, sparkling wine and non-sparkling wine. Uh, Richard, just tell me a little bit more about uh, what we're going to get out of this one. Really, the point of this episode is not to focus on English sparkling wine, although we will start with one because, as we peruse the Gordon's Wine Bar list, there is one wine that is English, and it is a vintage Chapel Down, that's a very good producer down in, in Kent, uh, 2019 English sparkling wine from Chapel Down. So let's taste that and see how we think it rates, you know, given that we're absolute champagne aficionados, both you and I are. Oh, yeah. More to the point, I want to branch away from sparkling wine because this is a bit of a, a hot potato, really, for me, if I may call it that, is that I really want to go on a quest to find some quality, still, English wine. Fizzy is pretty much tried and tested. Let's start with this fizzy here. I'm sure it's delicious in Gordon's. But it, you could ask yourself the question, perhaps we'll ask Amanda. She's got a day off today, otherwise I'd ask her today. Why isn't there still English wine on the Gordon's wine list? So again, this kind of comes back to it. Is there great still English wine out there? That is the point of this episode. Yeah, no, it's a good question. Uh, one I'm hoping the answer will be yes. Well, we're both proud Englishmen, Rich. Absolutely. We adore France, of course, Italy, Germany, and the New World, etc. But to have uh, a beautiful little tipple on your doorstep would be, well, it would be heaven, wouldn't it? It would be kind of cool. And we know they're dotted around. You and I both live in Kent, or I'm on the border of Kent and Surrey, and these places are dotted around, but still yet to find a fantastic knockout wine. Was the Hundred Years' War all about trying to get your hands on wine in France rather than bother to grow it yourself? Could it be, frankly, you know, but they just thought, you know, the English climate is so dismal, we're going to have to thieve a bit of southern France and make that part of the English territory. You know, we don't have that anymore. Well, let's get stuck in. English wines. out in the field to begin with, um, at a wonderful place in Kent called Simpsons. Now, Rich, uh, tell me, um, like as usual, why we're here? Good question, all. I still have a question mark over still English wine. And this relates to all the stuff we've talked about recently, particularly as we've just had a wretched six weeks of weather and we're, and we're in sort of getting towards mid-August, the blinking English summer weather. Can we produce decent still English wine? And I thought, ah, I need to go to an English, we need to go to an English winery. And then I was asking around at work and a lot of my fellow educators at WACT said, ah, oh, Simpsons, they're great. Oh, cool. So I got in touch with Simpsons, lovely Helen's here, has organised the trip and Henry, we're about to introduce them. And for emotional reasons, my second guide dog, I'm sure you will remember, the beautiful, obedient Simpson, the beautiful golden retriever guide dog. God rest his soul. And we're now at his winery, so it thought it was the best place to come, really. Makes a lot of sense, and it, it's, not, it's not named after Simpson, is it, this wine place? I think. No, no, that would be an embellishment. <laughs> 
So we've made a couple of new friends since we've been here. Like you said, uh, we've been talking to um, Helen Power, and she leads the marketing and comms function, marketing and comms manager here at Simpsons. Hello, Helen, and thank you for having us. Hello, welcome. Very nice to have you here today. And the sun's shining as well after all this time. So I guess you brought that with you too. That's right. The English summer, able to support a trip around a winery and an exciting Ashes uh, series. Also with us as well is Henry Rymel. And he is the sales and events manager here at Simpsons. And uh, you might be able to tell from his accent, he's not from these shores. And therefore even more enthralled uh, by the English summer weather, particularly seeing as his, uh, his job relies on a good crop of grapes but he doesn't look stressed which is uh, actually probably uh, probably what you'd expect from a, a sanguine Australian. Henry lovely to meet you and thank you for having us. Thank you for coming down to see us. Um, yes I'm pretty relaxed about the weather at the moment. <laughs> uh, I did worry the other day uh, being from south of Kent that uh, I started thinking that 13 degrees was warm um, <laughs> So I've, I've probably been here for too long. Yeah, that's right. A few, other people, might, a few <laughs> other people might agree with that too. Um, but great to have you here. And there's nothing you know better than, in terms of English wine, is, is getting down to the estates, the wineries, and having a look for yourself. Well, it was really kind of you to show us around. Um, Rich, I'll, I'll, I'll hand over to you in a minute to give you your impression of, uh, of the, the place. It's absolutely immaculate. The vines are immaculate, the offices are, the winemaking facilities, the production. It's absolutely, it's absolutely an incredible place. Obviously, Rich can't appreciate all of that, mm. but we certainly enjoyed our trip to have um, a look at the 30-acre field, which sounds like A.A. Milne, the 30-acre field. Mm. It's, a, it's the uh, Roman road field, I think. Rich, what did you uh, think wandering around the vines? Quite an experience. I was about to say it was a novelty. It's not a novelty to be to see some some vineyards, but it felt like a novelty to be in a very warm sun in an English vineyard. <laughs> Actually, just the fact that the sun was out. Here we are. It's kind of early-ish, getting toward the middle of August. You know, we're nowhere near harvest yet, but we were looking at. I had my hands on some some um, ripening uh, Meunier grapes, which is one of the grape varieties you guys plant here, uh, which is great. So we'll talk a bit uh, about the grapes you grow. Could I just ask Helen a question first? Actually, just in terms of Simpsons. Because, you know, it's only been a sort of going concern as a winery, hasn't it? First vintage 2014, am I correct? Uh, 2016. Sorry, 2016. Yes. 2014 was... When the Roman Road vineyard was planted. So your story is a recent one. I mean, just in summary, where's the journey so far? It's been a huge journey. I've been here six years and every year has been completely different. So that's been quite an exciting thing. Henry and I were talking earlier. I think uh, any English wine producers have to be quite courageous. So every year's exceptionally different whether it's droughts to torrential rain to frost to bumper crops every year we've had a new challenge the past 10 years i'd say our production volumes grown tenfold uh, so we're now aiming to be producing uh, about a quarter of a million bottles a year and we've gone from Ruth and Charles Simpson so they're the founders also have two very beautiful dogs as well so I'm sure they'll be <laughs> pleased to hear that Simpson story but they started their wine journey down in the Languedoc um, so that was in 2002 in 2012 they came over to the UK just as the industry was starting to really pick up and they were very interested in founding uh, vineyard here in England and after a lot of research they planted the Roman Road Vineyard in 2014 and also the Railway Hill Vineyard staggered across 2016 and 2017. We now have another vineyard site as well. Uh, the winery has expanded a lot since we've been here. We do everything on site from grape to glass and it's all within very close proximity the vines to the winery. From the outset we were only ever focused on producing English sparkling wine so we planted Chardonnay 
Pinot Noir and Pinot Mini varieties. But then in the summer of 2018, that all changed. We had a huge bumper crop. And not only did we start producing our still wines, which is something that has now become much more of a focus in our production and what we've become renowned for, but also we produced our first ever still red wine, which we'll be tasting shortly, something that the owners never vowed they were going to do. But it's been a really big success, so we're very lucky to be here today and to be sharing that with you. Henry, just talk us through, we're just going to taste um, um, four wines, a couple of whites and a couple of reds, and we're going to be contrasting a couple of vintages as well. So just explain what we're doing. Well, today you're going to have a look at, uh, firstly, uh, Roman Road Chardonnay, which is the still wine we've been making for the longest. In fact, Charles and Ruth experimented with making a small amount of Chardonnay from their first harvest in 2016 and been working on and developing this style of uh, white wine. And we're also going to taste our rabbit hole Pinot Noir, as Helen alluded to. You know, to make a red wine in England is, is difficult. To make a good one is extremely difficult. We've got some Burgundy clones on all our vineyards, and uh, back in 2018, uh, first, year, uh, first crop of uh, Pinot Noir from uh, Burgundy clones on Railway Hill, uh, the winemaker felt that it was getting ripe enough and intense enough to have a go at making some uh, dry red wine. The results were really good and really well received. Even though we don't expect to be able to make it every year, we have been, uh, as it happens, ever since 2018. So it speaks to a bit of con- uh, a lot of consistency in terms of the sites. So I think we've got the right sites for producing these styles of wine. Hopefully they'll be uh, extremely pleasantly surprising to you. Well, I've just had a, an idea, not the most ingenious brainwave I've ever had, but however... For Oliver and my benefit, because we're going to be comparing, for, for both the Pinot and the Chardonnay, we're going to be comparing your very warm vintage last year, 2022, with all that heatwave weather we had, with a much cooler vintage the year before, 2021, which we know is a difficult year because it was a nightmare in Burgundy. And if it was a nightmare in Burgundy, it was probably a nightmare here as well. Is that right? Yes, it was a, a challenging year. We had, in 21, started quite coolly in spring. Then we had some warm weather and it caught up. And then we had... Weeks and weeks of warm, uh, grey, overcast, uh, drizzly weather, which is perfect for mildew. So a lot of vineyards in the south of England and parts of France, we were pretty badly hit by mildew. And then uh, fairly cool after that, but we were able to get the grapes ripe enough to produce a decent wine. So there's a really good contrast with um, 2022, where it was very sunny, uh, quite warm and very dry. So very different from each other. And you can see in the wines. I think we need a challenge. Ola, why don't we taste, we'll start with the Chardonnay. We'll both taste at the same time, okay. taste them blind. Can we taste the difference in the vintages, the conditions that Henry's just been explaining? Remember, we would expect a bit more leanness, maybe a bit more acidity in 21, I would have thought. A bit more, <laughs> perhaps a bit more fruit, a bit more ripeness in terms of the kind of fruits we can getting, pick up. I'm getting some nods, I just have to tell you. But the theory is fine. Yeah. Can we, quote, taste the difference? <laughs> Oh, this is where I get so anxious. What was 
my score in the first test, Richard? In season one, that's right. What we were doing, we were doing, we were doing ordinary Chablis and a Premier Cru Chablis, yeah. and your score was naught percent. It was zero, wasn't it? Yeah, you did find naught. Let's look at this one first. So it's fairly pale. So the wee test, it's someone who's fairly well hydrated, might have had just a pint the night before, but relatively <laughs> healthy. It smells lovely. It's very day delicate, I would say. Maybe something flowery. Lovely green fruit, so it's plenty of ap apple and pear in there. Some nice citrus, lemon and grapefruit. I suppose the question is, uh, and, and with Chardonnay, of course, is what you get out of it, you know, depends on how ripe the grapes get. So if we were in California now, or parts, warm parts of Australia, we could be getting, you know, pineapple and banana and things like that. Wouldn't expect to get that even in a warm vintage in, in Kent. And of course, this is only wine one. We haven't compared them yet. But this smells like a really... Classic, coolish climate sh um, uh, Chardonnay. I feel like I could be smelling a Chablis. Let's have a sip of. Tastes quite acidic. Sharp, but not in a not in an unpleasant way. In a sort of fresh way. You said fresh. I relate to the I relate to the word fresh. Now the apples are coming through, and I don't think it's suggestion from what you said before. Very, very appley. Really crisp. Got lovely structure. That acidity is mouth-watering acidity in a really pleasant, refreshing way. Not in a, oh my god, the acidity is off the scale high. I'm not getting heartburn as I have a little sip of this wine. The acidity is high, as you would expect in, a, in, a, in an English wine, an English Chardonnay, but what we've got there is plenty of lovely fruit, which comes through and actually balances out that acidity, so it stops it feeling too high. How are we going with this, um, doing, doing very well. I mean, um, I suppose a bit of background for Roman Road is we're trying to build a wine with some uh, complexity and depth. Uh, and all, with all our wines, in terms of the acidity, you know, it's a natural thing here in England. Yeah. But we're trying to have our, the acidity in our wines as refreshing, which you talked about, rather than sharp or aggressive. Yeah. We're looking for that refreshment. And, you know, um, with the Roman Road Chardonnay, you find that there is that fruit, that lovely fruit there, balanced out by the acidity. But we're under there or with, involved in the wine is some um, oak characters, some subtle oak characters, a little bit of tannin, you know, which is a slight grip you get on the side of the, mm -hmm. of the mouth. But not, you know, it's not a huge amount. It's just there balancing it out. And, you know, I find personally, I, I love Chardonnay, but quite often they can be uh, so rich and so much that you, it's a bit like a, a very rich dessert. You're halfway through and you think, oh, I don't think I can have any more of this. Mm -hmm. I love it. Whereas with the uh, this the Roman Road, is the acidity there keeps it refreshing, and it means you it makes it more as you would like to try some more. And I find it works really well with uh, dishes that have buttery, rich buttery sauces. You know, fish or chicken, and you can have this wine with it, and it helps with both the food and also the enjoyment of the wine. Let's have a little look at wine number two. Lovely, similar on the wee wee chart. I I want to say mellow. So I'm going to, uh, as, as my right is a sentient adult. It smells lovely. Again, not too overbearing. I know what you mean by being a bit more mellow. It's, it, you get the impression it's a little bit softer. You, get, you think perhaps the acidity might be still going to be there, but it might just be a slightly, um, you know, maybe a touch less linear maybe on the palate, just, just from the nose. Perhaps before we 
um, taste and, and discussing compared to two, perhaps. Uh, Henry, could you just comment on something you picked up about Chardonnay some, being a bit too rich sometimes, and you, you know, we know what they can be like when they're big. Chardonnay is one of these grapes that you can do a lot of winemaking with because it's non-aromatic. So often there'll be things like oak you will be used, holding the wine on the lees, the dead yeast cells to give it a texture, doing stuff like mallow, which is a different type of acidity and can bring you some buttery, creamy character. Do you do any of these things here with your wines? As I, I think I mentioned uh, before to you guys, um, we're trying to build wines with some uh, layers of complexity and flavours and we pick uh, different sections of the vineyard, different times, different clones. So within our Burgundy clones we have different clones there and I remember um, you know, during harvest you go down and they've picked two clones on the same day from the same vineyard of Chardonnay and you can taste the grapes themselves taste slightly different so this is the way you can build up different flavours and then how you treat it from there on. Pretty well all of our uh, still wines, our white wines, spend time on what we call yeast lees in the tank. So once they finish fermenting, the yeast uh, dies and it forms a sediment and it sits at the bottom of the tank and we leave the wines on there for a, a number of months, even sometimes stirring them. And that provides texture and helps balance the wine out um, just by giving it a bit of a softness. And so that's, so those sort of techniques, um, the Roman road, we also uh, ferment half of it in stainless steel and then quite often 25% will be fermented in larger oak barrels and 25% will be matured in oak barrels for a few months. So again, you're bringing together different parcels of wine together and to create a wine that has some you know, characters that are typical of where they come from, from the vineyard but also um, some depths of flavour and complexity. Minerality in the second one. Am I wrong? There's something slaty um, and it diff less fruity. I'm still getting uh, pleasant acidity in the first one, less acidity in the second one, and a bit of sort of minerality in the second one, maybe. Yeah. I'm with you on that. Okay. I really, really am. I think they're, I think they're both delicious, but they're both very different, aren't they? But Henry's been saying about <laughs> creating this idea of a Simpson style, but within vintages, yeah. having nuances as well. So, Henry, what would you say? Well, first of all, would you agree with both of us that these two wines are pretty different in the palette? Yes, and some of the descriptions you've been using are spot on from what I see and what we're trying to achieve, yeah. So I think what, what do you think of the, is the consistent Simpsons theme, given that we've got two contrasting um, styles here? Yeah, I think it's this, with these wines, is the layers of fruit with the careful oak handling and the acidity, and as I mentioned, that fine tannin, there's a little bit of grip there that heaps of mm. fresh. A bit of spice that comes through in the background, uh, um, mm. and the minerality that you were talking about, um, <clears throat> which is um, comes with the territory. Decision time on the two wines. I think you described them really well, Olive, as far as I know these wines. Acidity is a clue. A cool vintage, and, and of course I may be, be about to get it rock spectacularly wrong, I realise that. Of wine one and wine two, which do you think has higher acidity? One, and I'd be pretty sure about that. And the other thing that uh, that Henry said that made me think that well, I'm, I'm being bold here, and you, you, that makes me think that one is the older one is the high acidity, therefore cooler. Mm -hmm. uh, but also, it feels like it's it's had time to become itself. <laughs> These are words that just don't mean anything. But it fe feels when, when Henry was saying all the elements are there, and then he says they sort of come together over time. What I was not taking into account, of course, <laughs> the 2021 would be older. So I'm going to put my hat in the ring and say 2021 for number one and 2022 for the number two. And that's what I'm going to say. And there we are. I'm a little bit torn, funny enough, in some ways, because I find that there's a bit more fruit on wine number one, but it's very green fruit. Yeah. 
very aptly very malic, a kind of malic acidity, which is that kind of higher acidity profile that I feel in wine number one. Wine number two, I feel as though the acidity is lower and I'm getting a bit more complexity uh, almost from a bit of minerality that you mentioned, a bit of stoniness, but with a bit of slightly riper fruit going in there as well. Although number one has a kind of more classically green fruit profile. So on balance, again, I would concur with you. So we're about to both possibly be 100% wrong, we'll see. And I think wine one is 21 and, and, and wine two is 22. Henry, tell us we're wrong. Unfortunately, you are. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but your, your um, reasoning is quite good. It's pretty good. I think, again, uh, it sort of speaks a bit to the consistency of the vineyards um, in terms of producing. I think what you're identifying, and I gave you a bit of a clue, is uh, and uh, is that the 21 has had more time. Mm. Even though it's a cooler year, it's that integration yeah. that's happened. And the mellowing, which is what you brought up. Oh, oh I suppose. So it's, um, it so it's a mellowed better. a bit. Whereas the 22, uh, which has been released um, when we released it a few months ago, June, yeah. we find, again, it's, it's that classic one I was talking about where the components are there but they're swirling around a bit and it needs to integrate a bit more. It is quite surprising because at the moment the, um, the acidity is, is showing through, which you know, makes you think it's a cooler year. But mm. I think that's an age thing. For me, the difference between the two is uh, also um, from the two years is that you get more of that mineral character in the 21 from the cooler year. So mm. we talk about mineral. I did wonder that. Uh, and that fruit, uh, for me... Um, whereas the 22 for me is it has slightly brighter, even though it's subdued at the moment. I'd say this in a, in a football analogy, an away loss. Uh-huh. So we tried quite hard, but we lost 2-1 in the end because we got some of the things, we got some of the clues. Some of the work. But, yeah, well, I'm working out. We showed up. We showed up. <laughs> also, now we know the scores, he says, trying to pick himself up. And now we know that the 21 was the other way around. And if we look at the glass of 21 now, it definitely has less fruit in it than the 22. I totally get that. And it definitely has a stonier quality. I just somehow feel, and again, I don't know whether it's to do with anything you do with malolactic or anything in the winery. I just don't feel that the acidity is biting me as much from the cooler vintage, paradoxically, as it is doing from the yeah. from the fruitier vintage of the 22, which yeah. for me, well, I was going with the acidity, which is why I switched it. Yeah. And at least, Rich, you like were not sure. I was like 100% certain, I don't know why. But at least you weren't sure. I was a bit unsure because there was more fruit in what I thought was the, was, was the cooler vintage, which didn't make sense. I suppose the key question is, did you enjoy them? Yes. <laughs> Importantly, really, really did. But what I do think, though, so far with this, like every other still English wine I have tasted, is that I do think that the acidity is different. Mm. It's what I call English acidity. Mm. So once you get used to that English acidity, I think it's fine. But it also makes me think I want to maybe have the wine with food or with a bit of cheese or something like that. Mm-hmm. Maybe not as an, as an aperitif drink.
So we have the Pinot in front of us, rich, and we're going to do it blind again. This is the Rabbit Hole Vineyard. The wine is named after a, a road nearby called Rabbit Hole, which is fantastic. So you can go down the Rabbit Hole. There's a 21 and 22 versions of our Pinot Noir, two different vintages, different conditions. The 21 was challenging, so therefore, Oliver, logically, we would expect less fruit maybe less alcohol, just maybe less intensity. Whereas 22, we would expect the opposite, a bit more body, a bit more fruit. Just on the nose, Ol, which of the two is giving you more on the nose in terms of fruit intensity, one or two? I feel like it's two, but I'm, I'm losing my confidence rapidly, given our performance in round one. I think it's definitely one in terms of uh, intensity. And if I didn't know I was in, if I wasn't sitting in Simpsons, and someone handed me this glass of Pinot. Well, if someone handed me this glass, I would probably say this is a Pinot on the nose, because it smells just like a lovely ripe Pinot. And they would say, where is it from? And so I don't know, I'm only sniffing it, but it reminds me slightly of a New Zealand Pinot, slightly of um, maybe a Marlborough, or even going down to a central Otago Pinot. I mean, just saying not nose, that's just what it reminds me of. Should we go to the palettes, have a look at them? Actually, I'm gonna start with wine number two, because I think wine number two is the cooler vintage. I may be wrong, I may change my mind. Can we start with glass number two, Ol? It doesn't taste too um, meaty. It doesn't taste like there's, there's all that much fruit going on. It's quite, Once tasted. It's quite delicate. There's yeah. some fruit there, but it's not a fruit bomb at all. And there's a bit of, bit of lovely kind of streaky stoniness, minerality underneath that fruit as well, which is giving, giving a lovely texture. This is not a two-dimensional Pinot. One would say a little bit of tannin, but not, not a lot. Absolutely, Pinot's never going to have too much. Are you still on number two? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Tannins are lovely, you can feel them, but they're, they're just kind of kissing your gums, they're not really dominating. Ah. Right, okay, I'm getting fruit now, I taste it, yeah. number one. And you're right about the tannins. I'm, I'm not a great tanning geezer, but if they're, if they're nice and delicate and soft, then it's a lovely taste sensation. So, okay, so fruity one, tanniny two, but not too overwhelming. What I really like, Ol, is feel the finish. How long do the flavours last? Have a sip of wine of, of the one in your left hand. To me, one is giving me more aftertaste, it's giving me more fruit, it's nicer. I, I wouldn't go mad for number two. If you want a, a fuller, fruitier, riper version, then surely it's number one. So I think we could, oh, would we agree that the warmer vintage, the riper wine is, is wine number one? Fruitier, yes, yes, 100%. Helen, we're, we're going with 2022 vintage for wine number one and 2021 vintage for wine number two. I'm so sorry. No! That's amazing. So 20, so this really ripe fruity Pinot is from the troublesome 21 vintage. Mm. Yeah. Is that because you've done less with the 22 because it was so ripe or you picked earlier or something or? With the 21, there's two factors. Firstly, there is another year. Mm. Again, so you know, again, the, the mellowness and um, the wine has come together more than the uh, 22. But I think also one of the things, even though it's a warmer year in 22, the effect of the mildew in 21 cut the crop down, so there's ah. a slight bit more intensity so comes from coming through. So, what you're seeing, how in... we find out, Oliver, you see, yeah. it's still an away defeat, it's a one nil away defeat. Yeah. So, the 22, we had lovely ripeness and sunshine, brighter fruit for me, some, some ways slightly aromatic, but mm -hmm. the weight is slightly different as well, it's not as much weight. You know, as a guest in this country, I'm really excited about. Uh, the rabbit hole, in terms of English reds, I used to have a wine shop and we we sold Kentish wines, including reds. And we had some nice reds, but what often I found was that you weren't sure what variety they were made from. It was a nice dry red, but you wouldn't know or you can tell from 
smelling or tasting the wine, what variety it was. Yeah. What I like about this, the rabbit hole, is that it's definitely pin and wine. Oh, Fruit and aromatics, oh, uh, that mixture of ripe and sweet fruit, a bit of sourness, and yeah. all that sort of thing going on. Again, you're being very, very kind, but we did, we, certainly Richard picked up a lot of the things there. Do you think, Rich, we were not taking into account age as much? as opposed to weather. So we were concentrating more on what you get from a warm versus cool, as opposed to, there's so many variables in this bloody, yeah. bloody game, uh, yeah. as, as opposed to taking into account the, the age and therefore uh, uh, the maturity, let's say, of the wine. Yeah. It's certainly a factor, isn't it? Because the 2022, as I said, is barely a year, a year old. I think I'm just overdoing, and this is why it's so brilliant, I have to say, to be proved wrong because it's really important to not just rely on something that you think de facto must explain a difference. Yeah. We know how warm last summer was. Not just the spe- spikes where we had 40 degrees in London, it was probably 30-ish down here, but it was a long warm summer, wasn't it? Particularly August, September. But 21, and again, I'm just assuming that 21 was bad, but I'm kind of, again, I'm bi- I've got a bias a bit, only because I know that... Per- that Burgundy had a shocker in 21, but maybe they had slightly different conditions in Burgundy in 21 than we had here. So because there are so many variables, all you have to hang on to intel when you get it. Yeah, yeah. And that can be dangerous, and that can be... Well, it's the only thing you can do, really. But otherwise, it's just a maelstrom of variables that you can't make any sense of. Another key variable, all. So if you have some bad weather or some you know, humid weather that gives you fungal disease, which means your fruit crop is reduced... You're thinking, oh, bugger, I can make less wine, make less money, but actually you can produce more concentrated wine. So you're actually going to end up stylistically with something that may be, quotes, in some people's eyes, superior, even though you were dealing with challenging growing conditions. Is that right? Indeed. I mean, I, I always thought that um, some of the lesser vintages in, in regions can be the best because that's when often the, the winemakers really have to concentrate yeah. and pull, pull a, pull, uh, get really stuck into it. You stress the vines, you stress the winemaker. Exactly right. In a really good harvest, um, they, you know, it's all there and, you know, it just happens and yeah. that sort of thing. But when it's, there's some challenges, they really have to work on what they're doing and how to concentrate on it. I mean, that's generalising hugely. As in the first wine, your workings were very good. You just had the wrong answer. That's what wine's like. And, um, you know, I think the best thing is always to judge judge a wine on what's in the glass. I'd love to take home both those Pinots. I think they're fantastic. Can I say, these are absolutely the best English Pinots I've ever had. Both of them. And I liked, even though I got them the wrong way round, I certainly liked... The 22 Chardonnay, this has been absolutely, even within four wines, even within our little test, our combined score, all of our combined percentage. Combined score, I'll just have them up now. Uh, Helen, correct me if I'm wrong, I think out of four, we got a zero. A plucky plucky zero. We have not troubled the scorers. But do you know what? Learned a lot. And isn't that more important? Learned a lot and had a lovely time. Thank you so much. (laughs) (laughs) Nearly forgot. Helen, Henry, thank you so much uh, for being our hosts. We've enjoyed ourselves immensely and had some lovely wines, and I'm now going to buy some. Thank you for coming. It's been a lovely pleasure. Thank you, folks. And I think we also need to say thank you to our production staff, don't we? Mm. Well done, Mike. That's Mike. Mike Mike with Mike. He's getting emotional.
Well, that was rather lovely. It's it's a few days later. Um, we're back from Simpsons, obviously. And uh, Richard, uh, what a thoroughly pleasant afternoon. It's definitely one of the better afternoons of this summer. It was terrific. And I think it's worth unpicking it a bit. Uh, and this is not in any way looking for reasons to be critical. But I think what we need to do with this app is sort of maybe fit it in the context a bit with season two and also and, and season one as well. Or, and, and this sort of question... You know, where is English wine? And come on, this is a tiny micro survey. This is one producer, Simpsons, and it's a really good visit. And they're clearly doing great stuff. Absolutely. So we're not being empirical by going around all lots of comparing all all the other. And there are many producers now in Wine GB and British English wine. I'd say British wine because there are are some Welsh vineyards and even a Scottish one somewhere. But generally, it's English wine is clearly on a trajectory. and, And that's interesting. There's only one thing, thinking back on it and listening back to the tape, that I struggled with something that Henry said. The only thing that I just couldn't quite post rationalize a bit since we, our visit was this thing about the Simpsons sort of style because basically we asked Henry well hang on we, all the variables that we know of <laughs> that you know particularly within English conditions and, the, and particularly the variability of the weather you know warm uh, vintages cool vintages wet vintages and that's why we were tasting you know 21 cool 22 much warmer drier and I know it was only two vintages and a couple of white couple of whites and a couple of reds but Henry was talking about this sort of Simpsons sort of consistency within the fact there's vintage variation i struggle with that because looking back on it and i didn't like all four wines i really liked one of the chardonnays the, the actually which the one that turned out to be the warmer vintage one that i thought yeah. was the cooler one and i really enjoyed both pinots for different reasons to really really rate three out of four english wines when they've only just been doing still wines for a few years is a result in itself but it really gets consistency do you know what i mean yeah i didn't follow i I thought it's some of the adjectives i i can understand and some i didn't and for me the wines were all different particularly two whites one of which i loved and bought a case of but i I couldn't see any common themes but i felt at the time because i was you know you've got to be pretty sophisticated to be able to uh, tell commonality between uh, two wines which is so different so i at the time felt although i loved listening to henry could listen to him all day frankly well both of them mm. i didn't quite quite understand that but i did like you i l- loved them i thought they were great and I, I i guess this would probably be like you the first time or well you said that they were the best you've ever tasted i mean these probably the first time i've tasted a still english wine and gone mm, lovely i really want to buy it i wasn't buying it out of politeness definitely not because they're not cheap <laughs> the one thing that uh, uh, made me think about oh english wines how how nice is it uh, uh, i don't come from kent but i live in kent i've been on a bike ride not my favorite form of transport but it can be quite nice and the flat <laughs> was it a bike with a with a, with a motor on it well it had a it had a little, little bit of boost to help me get, to help me drag my 103 kilograms down the Sussex Downs up and around there but isn't it an amazing thing that we can now actually cycle around South England uh, and visit many different vineyards and have lovely glasses of wine and you said that word trajectory didn't you and it, it seems yeah. to me that in terms of the improvement over the last they remind me of the lionesses um, and the success <laughs> and the upward trajectory of the standard of uh, english women's football which is extraordinary now and we were recording just shortly after the tragic loss in the world cup uh, final for the lionesses which i'm only just yes getting over. it was tragic but they were they were beaten by the better team weren't i'm they? afraid so i mean hats off to the spanish amazing amazing i know a really good match and like i say the quality of the football was 
was astonishing. But it's like that seemingly with English wines from a not even a backwater, from a, a, a place of zero to we will eventually potentially become a wine making country and we are able to cycle around vineyards in the south of England. Um, I don't want to get into global warming, but um, it's a it's a beautiful thing to be able to do. So in terms of things getting better in the in the world of English wine, that cannot be denied, I don't think. No, that's absolutely true. And also with Simpsons, and let's just remind ourselves here, with Simpsons, we're not talking about specifically English or English suited varietals uh, like Bacchus and uh, some of these other ones, uh, which you'll find a lot of wineries producing because they are cool climate grapes. And they, and they often say in the blurb, taste of English hawthorn bush. You know, I don't want a taste of a hawthorn bush. You know, I, 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 I really want to take. <laughs> Wanted, I want to taste some Pinot Noir and a good Chardonnay. So we were tasting Burgundy grapes, obviously, and most famously, I mean, worldwide international grapes, but obviously heralding from Burgundy, Chardonnay and Pinot Noir. And also remember, this is the absolute key thing for me, which Henry did say, but I think the more I've reflected on it, the more relevant I think this is, and this thing trajectory we were just talking about. Simpson started off with the ambition using Pinot Noir and Chardonnay to produce sparkling wine, because Pinot Noir and Chardonnay and Meunier uh, are the three grape varieties that are, are allowed to be used in Champagne to make Champagne. So clearly that was the model, their get-go aim, just only seven years ago to do that. The fact that we're drinking still English wines made from Chardonnay and Pinot Noir, okay, they're variable as we tasted even within two vintages, but there's still real quality there, in itself is remarkable. And the other thing, I'll, and again, don't want to get too geeky about this, is again going back to the time frame. They've been doing this. They were planting their first vintage, and it was um, in 2016, and it was sparkling. It was it was 2016, seven years ago. Mm. The still wine thing that we were doing the still wines is a recent thing from that, and the vines that are producing these grapes are really young. They're 10 years of age, barely 10 years of age. And people are listening, thinking, well, what's that got to do with anything? What's wrong with the 10-year-old vines? Aren't they better? Aren't they more virile? Aren't they going to produce better fruit? Well, actually, no, no. But actually, vines are a bit like teenagers. <laughs> They're okay for a bit, and then they go a bit moody and a bit sullen, and then they can suddenly really come to life after 20 years of age. The vines I'm talking about, not the wines. And so we're drinking or we're tasting the fruit that was making these wines was coming from really young adolescent vines and i think that partly explains why they were so variable even within the logic of the of the cool and the warm season that we were tasting which i'm not using it as an excuse but it's yet another variable to put into our big long list of variables yeah i love the way that they were so laid back you know henry uh, like you'd imagine from an australian as well i was like saying this would drive me nuts all these variables and like you say dealing with the youth vines <laughs> who are still going through their adolescence and and like you say, can be a bit moody and up one minute, down next and crash your car the next. He was just, just a man to cope with that variability. But yes, it is another it is another factor. Uh, and again, it's all again, it sort of feeds into this trajectory thing because it can only get better, one assumes. I'm not being critical of The Simpsons, but I think I'm just trying to add in some reality from what I know about wine. You know, we're talking about English wine and Simpsons in particular, but you know, literally just born, you know, literally point not one of a second on the clock. You know, with France and Italy and Spain round at 11 p.m. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's just so much. It's like the appearance around. of uh, Homo sapiens. Uh, yes. You know, and the, the ten, 10 seconds to midnight. <laughs> that's right. Uh, I don't know. What does that make France? Is, is it the mayfly that's been around a long time? Yeah. Some something bacteria. like that. The mayfly. Ooh, yeah. There's no bacteria. Let's compare. 
with bacteria. Just to wrap this up as well, we've got a, and this relates to price and to value because we talked about value in two apps this season. I don't think we can have the value discussion with these types of English wines yet because they're nearly £30 a bottle. The 2021, the cooler vintage Pinot, um, well, both of them I thought were, were delicious, but they're £30 a bottle, even compared with premium New Zealand or South Africa, even, um, you know, entry-level burgundy that's quite expensive and clearly these guys have got to run a business and they've got to make money they've got to make profit so they can keep reinvesting and can keep that trajectory going what english wine doesn't have is production volumes on its side because the reason that french and italian spanish etc wine can be cheap and high of high volume is because it can be high volume which makes it cheaper we're just a fraction aren't we in terms of volume terms of what um, our, our friends over, over the channel can do. So what I'm saying is I think it's difficult for them to make money and to, uh, uh, um, and to not make their wine quite expensive. Yeah, we were trying to work out. We got a bit lost in um, powers of 10, didn't we? But we can let the list work out. <laughs> yes, my million times tables. Not very good. <laughs> we, we, we figured out that France produced what... Uh, yeah, I think it was... Uh, Something like 5 billion litres. Yeah, that's right. Just over 5 billion litres compared to our pathetic... 10 million. 10 million with yeah. an M compared with 5 billion with a B. Yeah. So, I mean, just, yeah, you know. 500 times smaller, I think. But we'll, hmm. And because we've got a marginal climate, going back to the English weather, everything stops, starts and stops with English weather and the size of our potential and in the south of England really only to actually ripen grapes, we're never going to have the volume. Wine growers aren't going to be able to have small margins on bottles of wine. Hmm. But, it, I mean, um, it is nice to support the local and it's not in not in any oh, yeah. patronizing way and you're right that is an expensive bottle of wine and it is a lovely uh, but but maybe you could get as a lovely french wine for a lot less but it feels like we're part of i don't i think revolution is too strong a word but it feels like part of a movement shall we say definitely part of a movement we can only get better and, I, and i'm sure you know particularly with the way it, things are going with you know the climate change and all the rest of it and with the experience that these guys like simpsons will get over the next decade, couple of decades, and the vines getting more mature and even better understanding of their terroir. These guys are going to be, if they're not already, they're going to be absolutely competing at the premium level and it will be the more premium level because of the scale that we're talking, we've just been discussing. Haven't you got to really admire Charles and Ruth Simpson for investing so much and I guess taking so much personal financial risk to be part of this a small revolution or journey yeah. i suppose um because those are the um the two people who set up simpsons in their name yeah. um not in the name of um our dearly departed guide dog totally you know have a dream have a vision start off in france thinking actually as they are you know longer doc isn't it their connection yeah. and then thought, yeah we could do this in england and we know we've with the, with the with the chalky soil in southern england in kent the similar soil similar terroir to northern france certainly to champagne which is why the whole thing in england started with sparkling wine people are now thinking hang on it's not just about the sparkling and of course that's the point of this set still english wine yes a microcosm of it from one producer near canterbury beautiful place in kent but boy, didn't we learn a lot? Yeah, it was great. Lovely people, lovely wines. Um, it inspired us to maybe have a, a cycling a tour of um, Kent wineries. We need to do Sussex. more cycling and more sipping of English wine. Yeah, absolutely. That is it all. I think we need to draw it to a close, don't you think? Yeah, I agree. Time out. Uh, congratulations, England, uh, part of the UK. But like you say, the other parts of the UK, which are also wine producers. What are we doing next time? Do we know? Uh, well, uh, I'll look at my notes. No, we have no idea what we're doing next time. Excellent.